We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Tuesday, December 22nd. Nick Whalen here with Alex Barutha. Alex, we are recording mere hours from opening night, less than two hours, in fact, which uh, not ideal timing uh, necessarily to recap you know, what's going to happen on Tuesday night. Uh, but we'll be back with another pod on Wednesday. You and I will record on Thursday as well. So we'll have a full recap of last or I should say tonight slash when you're probably listening to this last night's action uh, and then we have a 13-game slate on Wednesday. So you and I will be back again on Thursday to uh, recap basically everything that we've seen uh, with every team in action over this, these first couple of days heading into Christmas. Um, again, I, I don't want to talk too much about games that you know haven't happened yet, but will have happened by the time people are listening to this. But uh, the big news, I think, heading into Tuesday night, other than the NBA itself being back, uh, is that James Wiseman will, in fact, start at center 
for the Warriors. Steve Kerr said he's going to play in short bursts. Who knows what that means? We've we've seen this with players before. Typically, it means some limitations. Obviously, Wiseman did not play at all in the preseason due to COVID protocols. Um, barely played in college. I think he left Memphis after like three games. Hasn't really played much at all in the last year. With all that said, what are your expectations for James Wiseman? Not only tonight, but you know, as he kind of gets into a groove, um, you know, I guess how how much can he actually help the Warriors this season? Uh, I think I've become more and more optimistic on Wiseman, um, mostly just from hearing Steve Kerr talk about him. Um, it was pretty obvious from we uh, there was an update the other day where Kerr said he was going to be the starter sooner than later and was just like full of praise for Wiseman, which you don't often hear from mm-hmm. a coach like Steve Kerr, who's coached you know, multiple championship teams. Um he was he had a lot of praise for Wiseman, and I think I think con- having that sort of extremely athletic, um, dynamic, like big you know roll pick and roll guy, um, vertical spacer with Steph Curry is something we really haven't seen before, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, he's kind of had Draymond a lot of time at center, and it was a lot of Bogut, but this exact type of player is someone we haven't seen Curry play with, and I'm, I'm just really excited. I think they'll, they'll both help each other a lot, honestly. Yeah, the Warriors have kind of just punted the center position throughout this yeah. run, right? I mean, other than Andrew Bogut, who had a, a solid like year and a half in Golden State before he really started to break down, they tried DeMarcus Cousins. That obviously didn't work out for injury-related reasons. Yeah, Kevon Looney has been fine, I guess. I, I do wonder if Kevon Looney played on any other team for the last few years, if he would still be in the NBA. I think he's benefited greatly from the talent around him, as have a ton of role players for the Warriors. But yeah, I mean, I, I think right away, Wiseman will certainly struggle to some degree. Any any rookie would, no matter how good you are. But I think down the road, this could be huge for a, a franchise that, like you said, hasn't had a player like this remotely. You know, not really a athletic, you know, rim-running uh, shot blocker on one end, lob finisher on the other. Uh, that for the most part, you know, for as, as dynamic as the Warriors have been, their centers have been like kind of more grounded traditional center types. Yeah, and I, I mean, th- I mean, this is a completely different Warriors team than we've ever seen, basically around Steph Curry. You know, mm-hmm. Draymond will be there eventually. I think he's going to miss maybe the first week. Um, yeah. But Wiggins and Ubre are going to have to find a way to get points themselves. Um, it's it's a very different squad, but Wiseman is going to help them a lot. I'm pretty high on him. Um, like, I, you know, I think they would have been fine with LaMelo also, but that would have, I think, been a little redundant with oh, how yeah. much you want the ball in Curry's hands. Um, Anthony Edwards probably would have been someone who's a little more long-term for them, right? I think Wiseman, out of those guys, has the best chance to be an impact player now for them and in the future. Right, and I think a lot of this was about having a good season this season because I, the Warriors, I, I think are, they very quickly went from like Monte Ellis, Anthony Morrow, uh, you know, Adonis Foyle era Warriors to the best franchise in the NBA. And I, I think it's really hard to go to the finals for what was it? Five straight years. And then, you know, crater like they did last season. And obviously injuries were the reason, but I, I think if your ownership and management, it's not fun to be down there after you were at the very top for so long. And I, I don't think they were, keen on the idea of a second straight season, even with Curry back, you know, kind of fighting in the middle of the pack. And ultimately that's, that might be where they are, but uh, I, I think you're right. That Wiseman helps them more now 
than LaMelo Ball does. And I think long-term, their ceilings, they're obviously such different players, but I think their ceilings are still pretty similar. Yeah, I think, you know, I think LaMelo has, it's it's tough because we know LaMelo has one elite skill, right? He's an elite passer already. Um, you know, the rest of it's kind of a question mark. Like, can he mm-hmm. score effectively? Can he play defense effectively? Stuff like that. And with Wiseman, you know, we know he's an elite athlete and, but we're not sure, I guess, what his other elite skills are, right? Right now, he seems like a good floor raiser as a player. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure what his ceiling, you know, his full potential looks like compared to LaMelo's, for example. And I, I think, and it can go both ways. It certainly has for a number of players, but I think not seeing him in the preseason robbed him of the opportunity to maybe boost his stock because yeah. even though, I don't know if a lot of people know this, LaMelo Ball went one of 10 from the field in his last game. And the only thing that you're going to see is that, you know, kind of full court bounce pass for a layup, which was on Twitter for 24 hours straight on, you know, every single basketball highlight account. He wasn't all that good. He shot 26% from the field. He was like 20% from three. It was, it was not a stellar preseason, but he had some moments. And I feel like his profile, despite shooting so poorly, was boosted. And I, I think a lot of these rookies, Isaac Okoro, Patrick Williams in Chicago, uh, Cole Anthony, that Pokashevsky even to some degree, like just the fact that these guys were on the court and able to produce some highlights, I think made people feel a little bit better about them. And, and Wiseman, of course, just never had that opportunity. Like for all we know, if he had played in three preseason games and looked awesome, we might be talking about him and, and this Warriors team in a completely different context. Yeah, and we might be talking about the the Timberwolves, like they made a huge mistake, even though they would have uh, yeah. kind of been doubling up <laughs> on uh, Towns. But yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, there is a chance LaMelo, I think, is... I'm, I'm probably lower on LaMelo Ball than most people. But I think there is a chance, like, the flashy passing will just take away from his numbers, which, as you alluded right. to, 26% from the field in four preseason games. By the way, a one-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio, ratio also in the preseason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's a great rebounder. But there's a chance he just kind of ends up being Jason Williams, who had a great career, right. by the way. But if you NBA were to take Jason, if you were to take Jason Williams, you know, number two overall, number three overall, even top five, right. it's just really not a great return. I'm glad you brought up Edwards because I, I wanted to hit on this at some point in the pod. Okay. And, <laughs> you know, I think it, it was Windhorst, I believe, this week on a podcast mentioned that, and this is not breaking news necessarily, but, you know, there was a lot of internal pressure, I guess, in Minnesota to... Uh, to appease Towns and Russell, everybody knows that, and you know, not be redundant as far as you already have a point guard in place. You have Malik Beasley. And, you know, I, I, at the day of the draft, they traded for Ricky Rubio. You you would think they at least had an idea that that was a possibility going into the draft. Um, and you know, they they basically didn't want to take James Wiseman because they already had a big man in Carl Anthony Towns. Wiseman made it clear he didn't want to play there. It doesn't look great so far for Edwards, and I I think those who who saw Edwards as more of a ball stopper, you know, score first, put your head down, Deion Waiters type. I don't think anything he did during the preseason changed that. He he did hit like four threes in the first half of their last preseason game, but still finished that one like five of 14 from the field. He was extremely reckless on a lot of drives. Uh, I, I thought played pretty well defensively. It, maybe that's kind of something you can hang your hat on if you're the Timberwolves. Um, had that kind of highlight stop, I guess, against Luka Doncic in one preseason game um, and just looked really athletic on the defensive end. But man, I mean, I, I think he didn't, he didn't quite show the heights that we saw, you know, from LaMelo ball with some of the passing. Uh, and then like you mentioned, I don't, I don't think Steve Kerr is the type of coach that just hands out compliments like that to a rookie. I, I don't think he's saying that just to hype him up or hype his team up. I, I think he really believes that. 
And when you hear comments like that from from the guy who went number two uh, and who you know very easily could have gone to Minnesota at one, it, it makes you wonder. It, it just, you know, I don't know. I don't know where we're going to be in a couple of years, but it, it's very, very easy right now to envision, uh, you know, looking back and, and having us be like, what were the what were the Timberwolves thinking? Everybody knew he was going to be a bust. Right. And uh, about Wiseman, like I remember before, because he wasn't with the team due to undisclosed reasons, which are almost certainly COVID-19, right? But before he was with the team, I think it was Anthony Slater reported. Kerr was saying basically like the center position is you have to fight for your spot. I don't know who's going to start there. It's kind of just an open competition. And then we're like three days into James Wiseman practicing and Steve Kerr is like, oh, yeah, he's going to start. Um, so it turns out he's actually better than Marquise Chris. Right. Um, and Anthony Edwards, I mean, he's not going to he's not in an easy spot either. I mean, this is a Timberwolves team that clearly made a win now move in acquiring Ricky Rubio, who is another ball handler, dominant, relatively ball dominant player, along with D'Angelo Russell, along with Carl Towns. And I think it's just not going to be easy for Edwards to fit in if he can't make his threes and he can't play defense. And that's not that's not really why you're drafting Anthony Edwards is to be like a three and D player, right? No, exactly. And that's that's the other thing with Edwards is some of it, you know, when it comes to a player being a bust or turning out, it's, you know, kind of nature versus nurture. And it, it, you're, you're not only taking a pretty volatile prospect, a guy who even high level evaluators, even even people who are really high on Anthony Edwards will admit that there's some bust potential. He's not as flawless as your typical number one prospect. And then to throw him into that situation where he's just I, you know, there's an argument, I guess, that it's better to be on a team that at least has some talent around you than just thrown into Cleveland or Detroit where it's it's sink or swim and you're going to you're going to lose 80 percent of your games in year one. But it's just such a mess. And, I, you know, they're going to kind of be forced to play him out of position. And if you want to play him at his normal position, that means you're playing other veterans out of position and you're you're simultaneously also trying to make the playoffs while developing the number one pick. Like, it's just it's just kind of a recipe for disaster. It feels like in a lot of ways. And it's as much talent as the Timberwolves have stockpiled. It, it's hard for me to really be high on them right now. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I agree. And this feels like it is kind of like spiraling into a scenario in which towns just doesn't want to be there anymore. As much as I hate like doing that and projecting that way into the future, it just, it, I don't get good vibes from it. Right. Just bad vibes from the Timberwolves. I mean, I, I think in some ways, do you think they should have just given in to Towns when it when it came to him basically saying, like, I want to play with D'Angelo Russell? Should they have just been like, no, he's not that good? Like, is Carl, is Carl Towns a good enough player, essentially, is what I'm asking, to warrant that kind of organizational control? I think he is. I think he's one of the most talented offensive big men we've seen, just from can score anywhere on the court, can pass a little bit. His defense obviously isn't great, but this is, I mean, there's no reason Carl Towns should ever be worse than like the second best player on your team right i don't think there's a scenario like he's got to be one of your top two players so when someone like that who's this young comes to you and is like i want d'angelo russell it's it's kind of hard for you to say no when in theory d'angelo russell he's still one of the what 40 50 best players in the league yeah yeah Um, you know you just want to keep towns happy i suppose yeah his fault is like not being best friends with damian lillard instead it (laughs) it happened it happened to be another guy who also doesn't play defense um, okay, so I want to look at a Tuesday night slate. And again, by the time you, most of you listen to this, um, these games will be over. But I, I want you to kind of look into the future, and uh, we'll we'll revisit this later this week. How do you see these games playing out? Uh, I, I, I'm looking for you to give me an exact box score, minutes played, okay. shots, points for every single player. 
Um, but how, how do you see these games playing out? And again, we'll we'll kind of revisit our predictions and, and see how how wrong we more le- most likely were, um, you know, later this week. Um, you know, I hate to be this guy. I think the two favorites are going to win. Um, <laughs> I think oh. the Nets are going to win. Oh. I know uh, the two home favorites also. Yeah. I think the Nets are going to beat the Warriors. Um, I think the Nets, again, have a potential to be the first, the, the best team in the East. And I think the Warriors could maybe be a four or five seed, but are more likely. I mean, they're in the middle of the pack in the West, I think. Right. Yeah. Maybe lower. Um, as much as I think, you know, Steph Curry is going to come out firing as much as I think. I mean, the, the Nets are terrible defensively. So the Warriors might be able to get hot and win this game. That wouldn't surprise me. Um Lakers Clippers, I still think will be close um, just because the Clippers are they're still a really good team. Like they had their faults last year. Chemistry mm-hmm. issues were there. But there's really the Lakers are two and a half point favorites over the Clippers right now. There's no reason for them to be more than that. Um, but I still do think the Lakers will will take it down. I, I think I lean towards the Lakers in the late game as well. It's hard not to, you know, with the offseason that they had. But the Clippers have always been, or Kawhi, I guess I should say, has always been a really tough matchup for LeBron. I mean, LeBron was shot like 37% from the field last year against the Clippers. He never really looks comfortable. They always kind of, they, they you know, pressure him on the ball as much as any team. Obviously, you have two wings uh, who can who can switch on to LeBron as well as any team. And then, you know, Patrick Beverly uh, never seems to back down from guarding LeBron as well. So I, I think there is a chance that the Lakers maybe don't look as as smooth as they normally would. I think this is a pretty tough matchup to go into right away. Um, but at the same time, I it, you never want to read too much into the preseason, but I, I thought the Lakers took those two games in which LeBron and Davis played, took them about as seriously as they possibly could have. I mean, they, they're they so deep that at this point, it's kind of hard to tell like when you're running your real rotation versus your end of bench guys, because they do go 10 or 11 deep at this point. Um, and I, I thought in that game where they rallied back against Phoenix after that horrific start, um, you know, that's not, that's not like a tone setting game for the, for the next 72, but I don't know, like the old, the LeBron teams of old, usually, especially in the preseason would just fold. And it, it looked like they were really locked in, which for a team coming off of a title coming off of a, an extremely short break, uh, I was a little bit surprised to see that. So I, I think this game means more to the Clippers. And I, I think, you know, like if, if the Lakers come out and win this game, like 112 to 98, the, the alarm bells are going off. It's that's the Clippers are going to lead first take for the next few days about how they haven't fixed any of their issues. And, you know, if, if that happens, chances are Paul George had a bad game and this whole cycle restarts. So I think there is a lot of motivation for the Clippers to just win and avoid all that. But at the same time, I, I like I said, I'm surprised how seriously the Lakers seem to already be locked in on this season. Right. I mean, one thing I, I am interested to see how the Clippers look because new coach and they got Serge Ibaka out there at center. And I think they don't, they, the Clippers still do not have a great guard playmaker right Lou Williams can only do so much and he's also giving up a tongue on the defensive end Luke Kennard is not going to be that guy he's going to probably just end up being a legit wing for them Patrick Beverly is not really a playmaker and so what they need to do is they need to basically run five out which I think they did by getting Ibaka so I want to see how the Lakers are if they're able to guard that as well um, as they you know being able to guard other teams in the past because I think the Clippers will look they didn't make a ton of personnel movements but I think they will look um pretty different with Ibaka out there at center, just the five out potential with Kawhi and Paul yeah. George handling the ball. Like it should be a lot easier for them. Right. And you still have Zubac. If you want to go back to that yeah. style you played last year, which for the most part worked pretty well, it worked actually really well until, you know, four straight games basically 
um, in, in the NBA bubble. So I, I do like that they still have that option. You know, obviously you lose Harold, but uh, he was coming off the bench last season anyway. In the early game, I'm definitely with you on Brooklyn. I, I think this could actually be a blowout in favor of Brooklyn, especially with no Draymond. I mean, you're asking James Wiseman to to make his NBA debut. Um, and, and no matter how high his potential is, especially on the defensive end, I like him a lot more when Draymond Green is next to him, you know, covering for him, telling him what to do, leading him. Like He'll be at the game, but that's it's not the same as having him out there. And as we've talked about all preseason, it's not even so much as you're missing Draymond Green. It's the drop down to the guys on the bench for Golden State, which means we're going to see a lot of Eric Pascal. We're probably going to see a lot of Marquise Chris. Um, you know, I, I do think Brooklyn is is vulnerable defensively, but I also think Golden State's going to be pretty vulnerable, especially this version of Golden State. And I mean, if you watched any of those those preseason games with Durant and Kyrie on the floor, I mean, they, I think it was I think they scored a combined 73 points in their two first quarters against the Wizards and the Celtics. I mean, they were they were absolutely dominant when that first unit was out there offensively. Yeah, I think I mean, I think the Warriors should be a better defensive team than the Nets. But the Nets offensively obviously have the upside to be the best offensive team in the league. And um, I think this will be this isn't an easy debut for Wiseman either. He hasn't played competitive basketball in a long time. And he's going up against a team, like you said, not a good defense, but they have DeAndre Jorgen and Jared Allen. Their best spots on defense is the center position. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't you know. DeAndre Jorg is not as athletic as he used to be. He doesn't block shots like he used to be. Jared Allen um, has a tendency to get in foul trouble, but it's not going to be easy for Wiseman. He's not going up against like the Charlotte Hornets. So if he kind of has a, a bad game, you know, gets a shot blocked, doesn't get a ton of rebounds, that would make sense. Uh, but I'm, I'm still really excited to see him. The Rotowire NBA podcast is brought to you by BetMGM. Sports bettors know that magic happens when you turn a hunch into action and apply the right amount of expertise. That is why BetMGM has teamed up with Rotowire to offer new BetMGM customers a free six month Rotowire subscription when you placed your first bet. Register on the BetMGM app or website and use promo code ROTO, that's ROTO, R O T O, to claim your free subscription. Once you make your first sports wager, you'll receive a season's length of Rotowire's unmatched sports insights. Find out why BetMGM is the king of sportsbooks by signing up and placing your first bet today. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, Tennessee, and West Virginia only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada and 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia. In Tennessee, call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. So I want to back up to the Lakers again real quickly. What is a realistic expectation for Taylor Horton Tucker? who has now, in all the drafts I've done in the last few days, has started to come off the board uh, with with somebody's last, you know, one or two round pick. Uh, I think he went for $3 in our 20-team Rotowire all-company auction extravaganza this afternoon. Uh, you know, as, as a, as a uh, quasi-Lakers supporter, it's it's nice to, to have another guy in the mix, but I, I really just don't see a realistic path to him like ever playing 20 plus minutes a night routinely this season, barring, you know, major injuries. 
Well, I, I mean, I he I thought he had a legitimate chance to take a lot of Kuzma's minutes, because uh, right. I think he's probably just as good, if not better, than Kuzma already. I mean, I that's an better. eye test thing. Um, yeah, it's he's a, a t- Horton Tucker is great on the ball. Um, he's a really crafty player. It, he's a crazy athlete as well. Like I think he's like six four. What is he six four two thirty with a seven foot wingspan or something? He looks way bigger than six four, right? I was shocked that he's only six four. He looks he looks six seven or six eight out there. But yeah, he's I, I think so in the twenty nineteen draft he was the or no in the entire league. What am I saying? In the entire league he is the heaviest and longest player who's listed at six four. Yeah, and he looks apart when you see him out there too. I think you know I think as as much as it hurts. I Caruso's minutes are in trouble at this point. Um, he'll no, still be out there for probably defense, but Horton Tucker also defensively at again, seven foot wingspan, two thirty, can be really hard to get by him. It's you're not gonna be able to move him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I mean, Wes Matthews was solid for the bucks last year, but he also wasn't a guy you feel like you have to give 22, 24 minutes a game to necessarily. So Lakers fans already turned on Wes Matthews after one preseason game. He was okay for the Bucs, but it was clear the Bucs felt fine moving on. Which... I, I didn't think he was very good last year, to be honest. I, I mean, nice guy. Uh, coming he off a nice tour, guy. You know, well, he'll always have that. But, yeah, the Bucs were more than happy to to let him go after playing on the minimum. But, yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I think I think Caruso's probably the, the first casualty here. Um, pray for Bleacher Report. This could be a uh, – this is a tough time to, to potentially your, lose this there. Sell your stock now in Bleacher yeah. Report. <laughs> um, the Kuzma thing is really interesting because the extension to me right away, you know, like all those extensions from that that rookie class were kind of coming in one after another. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Jonathan Isaac, four for 80. Ananobi, four for 72. Kuzma, it was four for 40, right? Or three I for 40? I think so. Uh, three for 40. Yeah, I, I think it was three for 40, which I, I think is fine. Um, my first thought though, is like, they are just locking in a price now that you can trade him at later, right? Like there's there, I don't think the Lakers are sitting down with Kyle Kuzma to sign that extension saying like, we want you here through 2024. Like th- there's just no chance to me that that's happening. No. Um, yeah, the, well, and the third year is a player option. Um, mm-hmm. so who knows what will happen there, but yeah, this kind of seems like a par for the course kind of contract where it's just like we kind of like the guy. Maybe we trade him. Maybe we don't. We know he's a passable rotation player, right? He played minutes for us in the finals that weren't god awful. Um, he's still young, um, theoretically movable. Like I'm pretty low on Kuzma as a player, but he did average 19 points a game, you know, two years ago on that um, on that Le- the original LeBron Lakers team. Um, the team. Where, yeah. Yeah, where I guess he was technically LeBron's number two. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's a fine contract for what they'll probably end up doing. Um, so, I mean, it's, you know, I when I saw him get that, I was wondering what Markel Fultz would get because I figured those two would get almost similar contracts. Yeah. Although I think Fultz has a higher ceiling as a player. Um, and I can't remember exactly what Fultz got, but it was similar money. I think, I think, he, got he, I think he got 50 mil, right? Three or 50 million. Yeah. yeah. And I, so I think, I think the market was pretty accurate with those guys. Um, the real shocker for on this subject was kind of Luke Kennard for me, but four years, yeah. 64, that's a long time and yeah. a lot of money. And I like Luke Kennard a lot. I like so him more I. than Kyle Kuzma for sure, but he's a bench player for you in the Clippers. You signed Marcus Morris already to that exact same contract. 
you know, there, there's some advantages to signing your own guys. You know, you're, you're, it's not like they're all of a sudden in salary cap hell because of this, but it does limit your flexibility to some degree. And Luke Kennard also missed like 50 games last year with the issues uh, that have dated back a number of years. So I, I just felt like, did you have to do this? You know, like, was it, was he really going to get significantly more than this in restricted free agency next year? Like, even if he has like an incredible season off the bench, is another team going to throw 80 million at Luke Kennard? I, maybe, I don't think so. I, did, I don't think we're going to look back at the end of this year and say, man, I, I'm really, I think they're really glad they signed him to that deal. They saved a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, I think if, they, if they're just trying to basically lock up a good, a quality bench unit, that's fine. Right. Because now you have Lou Williams, Kennard, um, Batum is whatever. Marcus Morris and Zubach off your bench, which is a pretty solid bench. I mean, it's a lot better than a lot of other teams are doing. And it's, it's not, I can't even call it Kawhi insurance in case he leaves, because if your Kawhi insurance is, you know, well, we we're just going to, we're going to start Luke Kennard or Marcus Morris. And we're just, we're just going for it with, with Paul George. It's, it's not great. So, I mean, I, Paul George took a ton of uh, flack for saying that it wasn't championship or bust last year. And honestly, I, I don't, I think he was killed for that quote probably more than he should have been. Um, but it, it kind of is this year, especially with Kawhi the other day, just kind of pushing off questions about, you know, having a player option for the season after this. I mean, I don't think this season could end anywhere nearly as bad as as last year's did. But I mean, any team that doesn't win the title, you know, I, I guess like with the exception maybe of the Heat this past year, this that almost felt like a moral victory. You know, like you get you run through the East, you have this awesome run. And you lose the finals and you can tell yourself, well, it was because our guys got hurt. And maybe maybe that ultimately was the deciding factor. I mean, if the Clippers don't win the finals, I don't like there's there's really not going to be like a great built in excuse. There almost never is for any team. So, you know, I, I think championship or bust kind of sounds like a cliche term to throw out. But it's going to be a complete circus next year if they if they don't at least make the finals this year. Right. Oh, yeah. They have to make the finals or push you know, the conference finals to seven games. Like they just have to really look competitive that deep in the playoffs. I think they have to make it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, like, cause they're, they're going to be fairly limited in terms of how they can improve going forward. Like they're, they're kind of in the position that the Lakers were in going into last year where it's like, all right, we can make some improvements on the margins. We can swap bench guy for bench guy, but like, you're not, if, if you don't win it this year, you're not going to go, you know, just go add James Harden to your team or something like that. Like, I, I think, I think if it's, if you're Kawhi at, at, at that point, it would be pretty natural to start looking elsewhere. Yeah, why not? Um, and, you know, I mean, the, a lot of what happened last year was chemistry issues, which are documented. And they're kind of they're kind of squeezing out everyone that was probably upset by the Kawhi Leonard, Paul George stuff. They squeezed out the, the guy rid of Montrez Harrell instead decided yeah. to bring in and pay Luke Kennard, who is theoretically going to uh, replace Lou Williams minutes. Who knows what will become of Patrick Beverly? Cause they're clearly looking to upgrade at that position. And just like they're, they're kind of just trying to get rid of everyone who has an issue with PG yep. and Kawhi um, be giving, having been given preferential treatment, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I, I think that all made sense. Yeah. yeah. I think that was the right sequence of words. <laughs> um, so I, I wrote an article for the site on Monday, uh, just detailing some, some preseason observations, uh, some fantasy, some non-fantasy. And I, I labeled the Rockets, the biggest wild card in the NBA and uh, yeah. one and a half days later after a video of James Harden uh, partying at a, it was like a strip club Christmas party. It looked like a strip club white elephant 
exchange, but with like $100,000 gifts instead of $5 (laughs) gifts. Uh, I don't feel any differently about this prediction. I I still think there's a a decent chance that the Rockets could make the playoffs if James Harden sticks around. Uh, I also would bet on them trading him probably in the next month or so. Usually when you start to get those reports of, you know, the Heat being engaged in talks and, you know, the whole deal is swinging on Duncan Robinson, typically one one side or the other is going to cave. Um, and I think especially if James Harden comes out and plays these first couple of weeks and looks really good, uh, some teams that are trying to hold firm right now, you know, maybe will eventually cave and, and give up a piece like Duncan Robinson to make that deal happen. Yeah, the, the Rockets are definitely a wild card. Um, but I agree with you. If Harden stays they should make the playoffs right i mean they're better are they better than last team around him all of a sudden yeah Yeah. like i think i think if replacing westbrook with christian wood john wall and demarcus cousins getting healthy eric gordon if if he can actually stay healthy that could all easily be an upgrade um and the thing is if you trade harden you know, the chances are you're going to get something. You're at least going to get back a good player. You're not getting back someone who's so much of a project that it's just crippling to your team, mm-hmm. right? Like you're not getting like Andrew Wiggins or I, I don't even know who else, right? You're going well, to get I a mean, good let, player let's back. Say you, let's say you trade him and like LaMelo Ball is the swing piece. You know, like LaMelo Ball's not helping you this year. Right. I think, they're, I think the price for Harden is so high, you'll get someone back who's good. And, and in that case, you know, it, it, a lot of that's going to rely on can John Wall stay healthy and can DeMarcus Cousins stay healthy. If those guys can stay healthy, um, if Christian Wood is as good as we think or hope he is, and you know they get back someone who is a solid NBA player, um, you know a guy who can confidently play 30 minutes, um, a top basically 60 player or something like that, they should be a competitive team. The, the West is incredibly tough, and their problem would be that they would no longer have a really high end player. You know, their best player would either be Christian Wood or John Wall or whatever person they get in the Harden trade, which I don't know if that player would be better than Karis Levert or Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is obviously the, the very top of that peak. Right. I think if they could get Simmons, I, they'd still be in the running for the playoffs. I, I don't know if I would pick them. I, I think Simmons is such a difficult fit, but like weirdly enough, I think he could almost slide into the Harden role. You know, he doesn't bring the actual like shooting that Harden does, which is such a big part of of that offense. But in terms of like the drive and kick ability, he's he's probably the closest guy to Harden, at least in terms of like available young players that you could get. I've always loved the Ben Simmons to Houston idea because it's so rare that you can just put a player it, like one trade would put a player in a perfect system for that player. Right. And that would be Ben Simmons to uh, Houston. And you're right. The fit with him and Wall would not be great, but you could probably stagger those minutes a decent amount, especially because Wall is probably not going to play back to backs. I would be surprised if he sees more than 34 minutes a game, anything like that. Um, so I, I think I would enjoy that. And I think it would I, th- I think it would be a good trade for Philly because Hargan and Embiid as a tandem is unbelievable, like the potential of that. Um, but yeah. Hey, NBA fans, Owner's Box is here to reinvent the way you play fantasy sports this season. Owner's Box is not DFS. They're the first ever weekly fantasy sports platform to combine the best elements of daily and season-long fantasy. Owner's Box is a head-to-head elimination-style format that keeps players engaged through live snake drafts and a new layer of strategy that allows you to become the ultimate fantasy GM. Compete with your opponent over seven days 
of fierce competition and get paid out weekly. On Owner's Box, users can brand themselves and engage socially on the platform in multiple different ways, add friends, create custom leagues, and rank up to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. Users are able to draft a new team every single day and participate in different types of contests to keep the fantasy experience fresh and fun so you're never out of the game. To tip off the NBA season, if you sign up free now, Owner's Box will match your first deposit up to $500. Think you got what it takes to be a weekly fantasy GM? Visit ownersbox.com slash rotowire to claim your bonus and make a name for yourself today. So stop me if we've talked about this already. I, I can't remember if, if I brought this up to you or James, but if you were the Celtics, would you do Jalen Brown, Robert Williams, and at least one future pick for Harden? To me, I don't care about Robert Williams. That means almost nothing to me. Um, okay. like, oh, take that, Robert Williams. <laughs> the first round pick also means nothing to me if I'm getting yeah. James Harden because I'm going to be so good that it probably won't matter. I mean, being able to pair a, you know, uh, James Harden with Tatum, an elite wing player, Mm-hmm. Uh, I think is great because I don't think Tatum's a number one ball handling guy. Um, you know, I think he's I think he's going to be close to a number one option. I just don't think you want the ball in his hands every single possession. You, you can have him you know, with the ball in his hands late in the game, stuff like that. I, I like that trade. I'm not sure if the chemistry would work between him and Tatum, but I would really have to consider that if I was if I was Boston. I, I think so too. Uh, they're not really being mentioned as as a team that could potentially make that that swing type of trade but i think especially with what's going on with kemba walker you know like the current plan doesn't look quite as as rosy as it did a year ago i mean they they said today like it's it's going to be like i think i think the exact words were like a long long while until we see kemba walker like i I don't know what that means that's not a good thing at all um and i think without kemba they're they're just going to keep kind of running into that same wall in the eastern conference and and they're you know with that contract they're kind of locked in with this team. So, you know, you, you really can't trade Kemba. Uh, you, it almost would be, would be a contract that you would have to dump in a deal like this. So you're not trading Tatum and, and Brown's kind of the, the most natural guy. Um, the question is, if you have to, if you have to add smart to that deal, which I think Houston would ask for, you know, then you have to start saying like, okay, is, is basically just injured Kemba Walker plus James Harden plus Jason Tatum. Is, is that enough then? Are we kind of back in the same situation that we were before? It would be funny if they got him to take Kemba Walker somehow and they have John Wall and Kemba Walker and Ben Simmons all on the same team. Right. Um, which would be insane. Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't want to give up smart. But again, you know, I, the thing is, Kemba, if he's your second best player, theoretically, and he has like his arthritic knee, that's a pretty that's a not great spot to be in. Like, I like Jalen no. Brown. I like Marcus Smart. If Marcus Smart's your third best player, if Jalen Brown's your second best player, that's not a recipe for like a ton of success, probably even down the road. I, like Jalen Brown projects as like kind of an all-star. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, his free throws are a concern. I don't know if he's ever really gonna be able to be a playmaker, but getting James Harden instead of him would obviously like put your, your, uh, your ceiling way higher. And the fact that Kemba Walker has got these persistent knee issues would not be as much of a concern. Mm-hmm. It just wouldn't. And as much as I love Jalen Brown, I don't, I, I don't know if I would have that kind of seller's remorse of like, man, I, I just, I hate to give up on that guy or hate give that guy up, I should say. And all of a sudden three years down the road, he's, he's going to be averaging 30 a game. Like he's a great scorer, but he's to me, he's like a step below 
like the really, really elite young guys, you know, even someone like Tatum. Like, I, I don't know if he's ever going to get to a Tatum type of level. I, I would bet against it, in fact. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, let's see. So I ran through a bunch of rookies in that article. We, we hit on a few of them at the top. Did any rookies really stand out to you from from anything that you watched in the preseason or, or any of the box scores or condensed games that you checked it on? Um, you know, I mean, Patrick Williams being competent was was nice. Um, you know, I know Devin is a Vassell for the I've Spurs. been saying Vassell. Okay. Nobody's corrected me. Um, has looked really good. Also, he he led all rookies in fantasy points per game, um, which is good. You know, um, I don't know. Avdia looks like he's pretty much ready to play um, for the Wizards, which is good because their their bench is awful. Um, Real bad. And I guess, I don't know, I guess the last thing, the two last things, Cole Anthony has looked really good. Um, and I was, I think the what Markel Fultz got is kind of a product of how good Cole Anthony has looked already. Because I was kind of in the camp of, you draft Cole Anthony and you have to play him a lot because there's a chance that if he's really good, it saves you from paying Markel Fultz. Um, and he's looked good. Uh, and then Emmanuel quickly for the Knicks, um, has looked pretty good as well, but I'm concerned about his playing time because they have so many guards and just random, like his Burks, Austin Rivers, they paid for some reason, Alfred Payton's still there. So it's bad. Yeah. So they went on like the power forward raid offense the last couple of years and have now <laughs> transitioned that to like shooting guard raid. Like yeah. why, why did you, why did you bring in, if you have Alec Burks, why would you go get Austin Rivers? It makes no sense. I think they're going to start Alfred Payton and Alec Burks in the backcourt. You're going to have Barrett at the three, which size wise i guess is fine i would i would rather him be in a position where he's handling the ball a little bit more uh that's just me you got randall at the four and then it's looking like nerland's noel at the five uh, i mean it's funny you bring the knicks up in, in my article i have i have a note on them as the team that's going to frustrate fantasy managers most this season and i, I think they've already been that team the last couple of years but again it, it's not even it's not even like they've built like a, a horrendous roster, ta- like purely looking at the talent. You, there's some of those guys that you like individually, but they've stacked so much like redundant talent on redundant talent that it's just hard to, like I, the nice thing is like Barrett's been playing a ton of minutes in the preseason. Like that, that looks like it'll be a fairly safe bet. The question's just how good is he going to be? But pretty much everybody else could end up just splitting minutes with another guy and essentially negating both players' fantasy value. Right. Um. You know, I mean, I think ideally they got these guys to just maybe trade them at the deadline for like second round picks. Who knows? Um, because I think, I think you, you know, Barrett's looked better than he did last year. Toppin is obviously interesting. I think you need to play Kevin Knox to know whether or not he's an NBA player or not, like very much. So, um, you know, and then quickly is interesting, but yeah, they're, they're going to be a really frustrating team. There's, there's no question about that. Um, it's, it's going to be rough for fantasy. Right now, which team would you pick to come out of the Eastern Conference? Uh, Bucks for continuity at the very like they they switched up a lot of things, but the Middleton, Giannis, Brooke Lopez thing I think is really good. Um, Drew Holiday, I'm very high on as a player, as someone who mm-hmm. makes a lot more sense than Bledsoe. Um, I, it would not it would I guess it would surprise me if it was anyone but the Bucks or the Nets. Um, the Nets I have concerns about chemistry a little bit but if they're the best offense in the league i think some of that goes away and then injury concerns for Kyrie because you can't get like he never plays more than 65 games 
And if that injury hits in the playoffs, mm-hmm. you're you're close to sunk, depending on what round it hits. Um, but they yeah. have a really good team. I mean, you're starting, you're bringing Karis LeVert off the bench. You're bringing Jared Allen off the bench. Um, there are other guys there. They're they're going to be a very good team. Yeah, I, I think that's spot on. I think if you could guarantee me that the Nets are pretty much fully healthy, you know, average injury right. luck throughout the playoffs, they're they're my pick pretty solidly. I, I think they would beat Milwaukee. I think they would breeze through probably the first two rounds of the playoffs. Um, and then, you know, I, I think like Brooklyn, Brooklyn Lakers would be the ultimate finals matchup. I don't know who wouldn't want to see that. I mean, the, the storylines basically write themselves. Milwaukee, I mean, has, has it scared you at all how shaky they looked in the preseason? It has not only because kind of like I alluded to while they kept their very top guys, the same, they switched out almost an entire bench unit. They just mm-hmm. took six guys and threw them away and grabbed six more other guys. And, um, you know, Bugenholzer very much has like, he's a system coach. Right. And so these guys have to get used to the system like DJ Augustine mm-hmm. and Bobby Portis. I'm a little nervous cause they lost, they lost defensive uh, they lost defense on their bench, right? Portis isn't a defender. Augustine's a terrible defender because it's just because of his size. Torrey Craig is fine. He's a good defender, but he can't shoot threes. Brent Forbes mm-hmm. isn't guarding anybody. Pat Congleton's not guarding anybody, and that's the whole bench. Um, so I think they're going to have to really gun for offense this year, honestly, the Bucks. But I feel fine about them in general. I think I think it would be a disappointment if they slipped farther than the third seed. You know, I think if they're three, oh, yeah. that's okay. You can live with that. If they're the fourth, then it's questions are going to start cropping up for sure. I mean, they're still by far the favorite to be the one seed in terms of win totals or win percentages this year. And that's with a, a pretty steep decline baked in. I, I think they're, I think their win total implies a reduction of like six or seven wins compared to last year on an 82 game pace, which is fairly conservative. I mean, especially considering the upgrade from Bledsoe to holiday. I mean, I, I would be, I would be surprised if, if they do fall off that much. I think that line is probably more about potential missed games and rest time. Yeah. Um, you know, but where does Miami rank in this at all? I, I think some people would probably, you know, be screaming at, at their phones right now saying that, how are we, how would we not even brought up the team that ran right through Milwaukee last year and, and went to the finals? That's a good point. Um, I just don't think there'll be any better, I don't think they'll be significantly better in the regular season than they were last year. Um, They made almost no moves. Um, Mm -hmm. Losing Crowder matters, um, but they got Mo Harkless. Kelly Olenek can just play more minutes. It's not going to kill them, obviously. Um, You know, Tyler Hero should improve. Like, they have guys who should improve, and Butler is going to plateau, maybe take a marginal step back. Um, I'm, I'm always still concerned about his injuries. Um, he was quietly injured for a lot of last year. I think he missed like 15 games before the playoffs, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, they, it's possible they just coast off of their, like they, maybe they unlocked a new level basically to their game where they're just on, uh, you know, their, their chemistry is just so locked in that they fly right. to the one seed or they just easily get the two seed. Wouldn't shock me, but just from a roster standpoint, Almost nothing changed, right? Except some young guys are going to get better. Going back to the Harden thing, how concerned would you be if you're Miami about breaking this up? Because to me, it it would be worth it. If you can get James Harden and you don't have to give up Butler or Adebayo, 
I would I would personally do that in a heartbeat, but I completely understand the point of view of look, we have Tyler Harrell's coming into his second year. You know, Duncan Robinson was basically a rookie last year. You know, these guys can get even better. They, they, they complement each other so well. This team likes each other. You know, there's obviously a, a lot of risk in bringing in someone, especially a personality like Harden. I think that maybe adds to it. Where, where do you come in on the risk versus reward? Uh, Harden living in Miami would, it's probably the worst, one of the worst possible places he could live from a, yeah. you know, game to game performance standpoint. But I think if I was them, I would do it. Uh, I can under, I mean, the Heat always chase free agents, right? And it's a little bit, this is a different situation because they were just in the NBA finals with a young group for the most right. part, aside from Butler. That just like, it, that does not happen. Uh, especially given where they were in the regular season. But, you know, Butler, again, Butler's not getting any younger. You know, the the window for him as your best player is closing. Mm-hmm. And being able to add Harden and just, you know, just kick a little, basically just juice that up a little bit. And you have Adebayo on a contract, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like you're bringing Harden in and that pisses off Adebayo. And then he's like, well, you know what? I'll just test the waters in free agency because I hate the situation right. that I'm in now. Um, you know, I think, I think you do it. I don't think you should be so afraid to give up on Tyler Hero, who... It looked great and was a great playoff well, player, and I think that bodes well for his future. But it's again, it's James Harden we're talking about. This would almost guarantee you that you are a top. You mm-hmm. would be amongst Brooklyn and Milwaukee easily, easily, easily. Right, and I think I understand like if the reports from this past weekend are correct that you know the whole this whole p- potential trade was swinging on Duncan Robinson and the Heat were saying we're not we're not including Duncan Robinson in this deal. I get that because he is extremely important to what they do, but it's James Harden. And to me, like if I, I would much rather have Ben Simmons or Jalen Brown than Tyler Hero. Like Tyler Hero was a lot of fun last year. I don't think he his ceiling is nearly as high as as like what peak Ben Simmons could be. Like to me, that's kind of crazy that the Rockets would even I don't know, who knows what kind of picks would be coming in that, but like if I if if those two options are on the table, to me it would I would easily rather have Simmons. Uh yeah. I mean I think Again, I mean, Hero's ceiling is higher than I thought it was going to be, given what oh, he did sure. as a rookie. For and sure. people compare him to Devin Booker. I don't know if he'll ever be as good as Devin Booker, but fringe all-star, sure. Um, and I understand why the Heat want to keep Duncan Robinson, because he's one of the best shooters we've ever seen from three. Um, and he's on an insanely cheap contract. And just the skill to contract ratio is great. But again, if you're getting James Harden, you kind of just figure the rest out later, right? Right. You don't get to feel good about a trade when you're bringing in a top four player. You, like, you, you also have to feel like you're giving up a lot because the Rockets are giving up a lot. Yeah. All right, let's finish out with some fantasy talk. Uh, just uh, we, We've both done a ton of drafts the last week or so. When, when was your NFBKC draft? Last night. Oh, really? Nice. How'd that go? Went well. Um, I got Curry and Jason Tatum. As my first two Absolutely. picks, right. uh, if you go on my Twitter, I posted my team um, on there. But I guess one thing that was shocking, uh, other than Derek Jones Jr. going in the 15th round when Paul Millsap was still available, uh, was that, and I've seen this happen in other drafts too. Obviously, we're not counting auction drafts here, but LaMelo Ball going over Blake Griffin. It's is, bad. It happened in my NFPKC draft. And it's happened in other drafts, obviously. Uh, and I think that is, I think that's crazy. I, you, there's nothing you can say, there's nothing you can show me to convince me that that makes sense. 
you don't get extra points for alley oops. Like I, I think I think I'm higher on him as like an like a real basketball player than I was two weeks ago. I think I'm lower on him as a potential fantasy rookie than I was two weeks ago. Yeah, 100%. It's insane. He was he was the first rookie taken in mind by like a full three. It was like three or four rounds before somebody I think took Wiseman next or maybe Toppin. Like it's it's absolutely insane. I he shot 26%. Wiseman is going way too low. Also, uh, he's going 100 yeah. plus. I, I can understand him going 100 plus. It's just that Lamelo should also be going like at pick 130 or something. Um, but yeah, I got the eighth pick. Uh, ended up with Curry, Jason Tatum, um, Vucevic, D'Angelo Russell, Robert Covington, Thomas Bryant, Draymond at pick 77. I felt like it was a fine upside guy. I got Kevin Love at 92, um, Lavert at 125. I got Gary Harris at 188. I got Millsap at 173. Um, I feel pretty good about my team. You know, a lot of it's going to rely on is um, is Draymond going to stay healthy? Is Kevin Love going to stay healthy? And but if if Curry and if Curry becomes a top three player again, if Tatum takes his leap and those two guys stay healthy for me, it's going to be a I I feel really confident about my team, honestly. Yeah, I love the Curry Tatum Vooch start. Like Vucevic is so so underrated. Like you just you're almost like just guaranteeing he's going to finish somewhere between like the 30th and 39th best player, which right that stability at, at that point in the draft is ideal. And NFPKC is a league, and like a lot of other leagues, you have to make sure to pay attention to position eligibility because mm-hmm. there are no guard forwards, I realized. There are only forward centers. And yeah. there are some strange forward center designations, but I grabbed Robert Covington at 53, partially because he qualifies at center in NFPKC. And being able to play Covington yeah. at center is huge um, in, in this scenario. So. Yeah. Um, were there were there anybody? I mean, any guys for you that you feel like are going way too high or or way too low in in your in your leagues that you've done? Well, I mean, Lamelo was definitely the guy sure. for me. I would I just never even considered taking him. Like honestly, I don't know at what point I would have felt comfortable. Like I he wasn't even on my radar. Like I would rather I'm looking at who I grabbed. Like you know, like my last four picks were like Malik Beasley, Dario Saric, JJ Redick, James Johnson. I, okay, maybe I'd rather have LaMelo Ball than James Johnson, but I, I don't know. Like, I, I certainly would not be spending, um, let's see, he went late in the eighth round in this one. Basically, like, the like the 80th-ish overall pick, right between Porzingis and Montrez Harrell. I don't know. I don't know. I just don't see it. Like, it, I, I think some people think he's going to average, like, three points and, like, 15 assists right, right. away. Like, where's the value coming from? I don't. I don't really understand it. He'll get some rebounds too, but him going after Porzingis or near Porzingis is crazy. I know Porzingis is hurt. He might only play 40 games. When mm-hmm. Porzingis plays those games, he's going to be great. Um, yeah, that's that's a tough call. I mean, I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like Bagley's a guy who is also going uh, too late just because we haven't seen a lot of him. Yeah, he should play. I mean, again, he should play 30 minutes on this team. Um, yeah, I mean, in NFBKC, like it, I wrote this in my recap too that. It's hard to look at the board and be like, oh, that guy went way too early. That guy went way too late. Like, there's just no, you never feel like you're getting any value with these picks because everybody knows what they're doing. Yeah. Um, things get, I, I think um, one thing I have noticed is people seem to start taking their flyers way earlier in NFPKC, which yep. surprises me. Like, eighth round, again, exactly. Like, eighth round, LaMelo Ball comes off the board. Um, you know, Patrick, you know, Tyler Hero is coming off the board at like 60 or something like that. Yeah. Um, people just go for it. And that's, mm-hmm. 
that's not how I draft, which is how I end up with like Jeff Teague and Paul Millsap and Gary Harris at the end of every single oh, one yeah. of my drafts. Upside. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, so I, I found myself targeting Chris Boucher for some reason. And then part of it was I just really needed big men. I, I only ended up with two true centers in Drummond uh, and Jared Allen in this draft. And I, I did not go in wanting to get Andre Drummond. But the way things broke, I just I always felt like I was like reaching a little bit too much if I if I was going to get um, like in round two, I went Ben Simmons and then Vucevic went directly after him. Um, and that's third round reversal, too. So, you know, you pick you pick in the second round and then you're not picking again until basically the end of the third round. I had the third overall pick. Uh, so I ended up taking three guards first, which I, I did not love. But I just there just wasn't anybody out there who I, I felt great about uh, at, at other positions. Uh, I didn't want to reach for like Hassan Whiteside went ahead of Drummond in that draft. Didn't really feel comfortable there. Sabonis went a few picks after Drummond. Uh, I considered Sabonis, um, but at, at that point, I just felt like I needed to uh, to get a little more help on the defensive categories, especially blocks with Drummond. And obviously Sabonis doesn't do much there. Um, where are you at on Zion? He went just after the middle of the third round. And I'm so bad at doing the math on this. I think he went like... Oh boy, like thirty second, if I'm doing the math right. Right. Well, if he can hit his free throws, then you we have to assume he's going to be like a top thirty player or something like that. Um, yeah. His, his his draft position on NFBKC, the highest he's ever gone, thirteen. The lowest he's ever gone, fifty seven. And that averages out his his ADP is uh, thirty three. And I'm more comfortable taking him. Yes. Um, I'm more comfortable taking him around that 57 mark, which is why I never get Zion in any of my drafts. Um, I'm still worried about his conditioning slash injury risk. Um, I'm still worried about his free throw shooting, even though he was good uh, in the preseason. But again, if, if if the free throw shooting is real, because I think you wrote up in the piece for uh, the site that you like him as a flyer for uh, league in the league in scoring. Is that At 100 right? to one. Yeah, right. Yeah, at 100 to 1. And I, I, this is a guy, in a preseason, he averaged 29 points a game in 33 minutes. Um, effortlessly. Effortlessly, plus 10 rebounds. And he shot 77% from the free throw line on 22 attempts in two games, mm-hmm. uh, which is obviously good. So I, that's where I'm at on Zion, I guess. Yeah. No, it, it does come down to the free throw shooting, for sure, because he's going to take so many, too. I mean, it's kind of the, the same conundrum with Giannis last year, where like he's he's just he's such a great player it's hard to explain to people like no he's actually killing you in in free throws because he's taking so many of them and and missing so many if zion i think he shot like 77 percent think he was like 17 of 22 from the line in the preseason if that sustains yeah totally totally worth it where he's going in these drafts i i also i kind of stayed away um but i did have a little bit of of remorse that i didn't you know get him anywhere because i i think there is a pretty good chance that you know, if, if the free throw percentage is real, like he could, he could legitimately be like a 30 and 12 guy this year. Like he's, he's just that unstoppable in the lane. And there's like, I, I don't, there's just nothing that teams can do. Like other, you know, full grown NBA men are just have no choice, but to just kind of let him go because he's such a freight train. And he's also apparently lost 25 pounds from the bubble. He doesn't look like he's lost 25 pounds. I mean, that's great. I, I think, you know, obviously for maintenance reasons and whatnot, but the fact that he's able to lose that much weight and still be that powerful is is crazy. The other thing, though, I think he only had one steal and one block in like almost yep. 70 minutes in the preseason. So that's 
that's kind of the other thing with Zion. And, and I believe he only had four assists over that time as well. So like, coming out of Duke, I think people were thinking this guy could be 25 points, 10 rebounds, five assists, you know, two blocks, one and a half steals. Like the yeah, defensive basically. numbers especially have just not. Yeah, right. The defensive numbers just simply have not been there. And I think that could maybe lag behind again this year. Yeah, I don't see him as a defender. I test. He's awful. He's still awful. He walks a lot on yeah. when you if you watch like full games, he's just like when he's not 100 percent, he's like 20 percent. He has no mm-hmm. like 75 percent LeBron kind of coast, although LeBron yeah. does a lot of walking himself. But again, Zion, I don't think he's going to be a great playmaker. Um, he doesn't look to pass out of the post, really. He's not driving mm-hmm. and kicking on guys yet. And that's OK, because this is like kind of what we saw from Blake Griffin early on in his career, right? It's like people are like, well, yeah, he's scoring 27 a game, but it's all on dunks. Like, come on. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, come yeah, on. That's like, pretty cool. That's pretty good. That's, yeah. that's pretty, exactly. So no, I uh, really think Blake is is the best cop for him right now by far. Yeah, I don't think he'll ever be a good jump shooter, Zion. What I mean, what Blake's done with his career in terms of basically turning into a small forward is almost unprecedented from what he was when he came into the league. But um, yeah, Z- Zion already looks insane. Already looks insane on offense. All right, man, we're out of time. Uh, we are about 20 minutes from the start of Nets Warriors. Looking forward to watching that. You will be able to recap that one on Wednesday with Shannon and Ken. So keep an eye out for that episode. And then we'll be back on Thursday with our full recap of the first two nights. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.